The Collective Whisper Podcast with Simon King. Good evening, everybody. I'd like to welcome Martina Flaherty from Loch who is with us here today. Martina is a singing teacher, a sound and voice therapist and facilitator, a professional singer, songwriter and musician, and also a radio presenter on Loch Community Radio. Welcome to the show, Martina. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for having me. It's a lovely introduction. <laughs> you. It's quite a mouthful. You're a very busy woman. I am. I'm sort of jack of all trades, maybe a master of none. I don't know. <laughs> I'm always, I'm always busy. I suppose that you know, even during lockdown, I've done so many courses just online. There's been so many things online, um, and I just love learning. I suppose you know, um, that's it. Yeah, good. I mean, I think those are great nowadays with the internet and courses online. You see, every so often they're trying to entice you into coming into their stable of students and they give you free courses i think that's great if you can get a four-week course free it's brilliant no yeah yeah there's great self growth ones yeah you know or even i i don't want to how to talk to plants <laughs> back in how to talk to plants so i'm going around talking to all my plants now which is great you know um <laughs> Not to mention the drug, but there's been a lot of fellas and girls talking to plants over the years <laughs> and thanking, thanking them for the great night they had. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're talking back. <laughs> they're talking back. That's the thing. <laughs> so so right now, how, how are you? How is everything going, you know, with the lockdown? And are you coping with this? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's been, you know, I suppose there's positives and negatives for maybe for everybody. I mean, definitely back in March, um, as I say, I'm, I'm somebody who's always busy and sometimes too busy. You know, I tend to to not, you know, I'm, I'm not a morning person, ter- terrible to get me out of the bed. But once I'm up, then I don't stop and I don't go to bed till all hours. Um but, um, You're a night owl. Oh, completely, like three o'clock in the morning, you know. And I'd still be up at sort of half nine, ten o'clock. But, you know, the, the morning is, I'd love to be just one of those early morning persons, but I'm not. You know, I'm most creative later at night. That's just the way it goes, you know. I get I get alert then. But, um, yeah, so, um, but it was great to kind of get off the wheel a little bit. Now, I was able to do, you know, a small little bit online for a while, but, you know, um, it didn't work. It didn't work for a lot of people then. But, you know, it was great. Uh, so it was great to get that time. The sun was out and it was lovely. I think for a lot of people, even though they've probably had too much time off the wheel, as you say, it's kind of good in a way to get out of the normal routine because it makes you reevaluate stuff. Because maybe, for example, you're playing with the band and maybe you're playing certain venues and you're sick of it and you want to do something different. Or, you know, as a lot of musicians, they're playing cover gigs and, you know, doing the same old songs. And maybe they want to get back into doing original music. And sometimes this kind of like it's like a little kickstart. Maybe you'll say, you know. I want to take this time and reinvest in myself. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people did that. And, um, but, you know, definitely, definitely it was great. And I, I reevaluated even myself. I started working on, um, on an online uh, healing voice course. So, 
I thought I might have it finished by Christmas, but I, I'd say it'll be January now. Anyway, but look, I'm glad I wouldn't have done that if, you know, anyway, so the, all those things were good. You know, I think as time has gone on, it definitely has been challenging because, you know, sure, we were all handed out, you know, a little bit of uh, social welfare, you know, back back in March, but um, it was like good cop, bad cop. Then it sort of got, <laughs> then it got very measly. Um and you kind of tried, yeah, and you the pup and you tried to go back to work in September and then all of a sudden you know you thought you were on the pigs back back to work and then you weren't again, and uh, and then you realised it was it was very measly. But anyway, look at we are where we are, and uh, on a, on a negative, I I hate the you know I think it's a it's it's a little it's capitalism and it's it's um. And it's dictatorship and there's all those negative things on the positive. I do think there's a spiritual element to it. And I think people needed to needed this. And um, and I think sometimes we have to see things and experience things to to appreciate life and to to appreciate, um, I suppose, our freedom and 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 all that sort of thing, you know. So so there's a spiritual element and. Um, yeah, so so just I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful to be here. Grateful to have my lovely daughter, and um, and yeah, that's that's it. When you look at the timeline of everything, for for some people it probably suits them, but for other people it doesn't because they're thinking it's too long. It's taken you know this lockdown is going on forever. But for other people, they're thinking, no, I've this has been a good time. I've been able to learn some stuff, practice some stuff, you know, spring clean the house a million times. So it, it all depends on the type of person you are, doesn't it? Exactly. And I suppose it depends, too. I mean, for definitely for young people, it's been I, I've my heart has sort of bled for young people a little bit. I because I, um, I think when you're younger, being, you know, being with people and being with your friends, I did a workshop there in Salt Hill now about um oh about a month ago I'd say it was just before the lo- the the second lockdown came there and what I found from a lot of the teenagers there was that um school was the only thing that was keeping them going really it was their seeing their friends because they really missed that you know that um friendship and just being out and about your hormones are raging you know you want you know girls hug each other all the time and you know and yeah you just need to be with your friends and people have been awfully hard on young people you know um a lot of negative stuff going up on on facebook and stuff and you're kind of going guys do you remember when you were young or have you totally forgotten you know and uh also, um, also, also older people. I, I felt really, you know, I felt it for older people because they really feel that, you know, they don't have as much time and they miss, you know, they miss their families and all that sort of thing. So on those, I mean, I can sit in my house forever, you know what I mean? I'll find amusement. I'm I'm grand. But I suppose they're the most two um, fractions of society that we really need to look out for and uh, and really be there for. Is, is our younger people and our older people. Yeah, and I think what it is, you know, like when you said there, a lot of people are looking at young people and they're thinking, oh my God, you know, what are they up to? What are they doing? But we were the same ourselves. And it, it's very hard to look back now and see that we were that way. But it's true, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the only memory I have of kind of being locked up was, I remember when I was about 16 and I remember there was a big snow 
Um, and we were locked into our house because we lived in a little avenue. Sounds very fancy and posh, but uh, <laughs> we were the only house in there. But we were snowed under anyway. And we couldn't. I remember for Christmas, it must have been around Christmas, because I remember for Christmas Day, myself and my mum and dad and my brother and sister or my sister, actually, because my brother was married. We were all walking out to his house to have dinner. But um, we were actually cracking after a week because uh, we couldn't go out and you couldn't. It was Christmas and everybody was out and you were like, oh, I want to go to Ballymac at the time or wherever we were, you know, up to the Medicourt in Lockray and all the places, you know, to, to socialise. But it was a week that I hadn't seen my friends. And of course, then you wouldn't have phone and stuff. But I remember the the kind of darkness of it. I can remember feeling quite down. So that was a week <laughs> when I was that age. So here are kids doing, you know. No, and, and a week a week seemed like an eternity then. But now, because people can connect and stay in touch, like, thank God for the internet, because if we didn't have it, this lockdown would have been hell. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, so there's lots of blessings too, you know, but. Let's go back to your early life in Loch Ray. So, so you were born, like, you were you always in the town or did you live outside the town? Always the same place? No, I, I'm a country girl. Um, I actually, um, I'm from a place, a little place called Bally McCord. Bally Macward, they used to call it years ago. Um, <laughs> there used to be a dance hall there and they'd, they'd advertise it on the radio as Bally Macward. But um, yeah, and I went to school in Mount Bellew, actually. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, so it's about a half an hour, I suppose, from Lockray. But in uh, probably in my early late 20s, maybe, I started working in Lockray in a barbershop. And uh, that I trained as a hairdresser. And uh, then I was playing music and gigging. So, you know, going off to do some, you know, being in in the morning and maybe half eight to do some ladies' perm just was kind of a bit too hard because <laughs> I'd be in the no because I'd be kind of in the bar from like till four o'clock in the morning but you'd have fierce cranky um I was working in, in Barry's in Galway I remember at the time but you'd have a few cranky women as well that would be um you know anyway I kind of went Jesus uh with my gigging because I was gigging probably you know four or five nights a week too you know so I decided to go for something a little bit easier so um one night in in Kiri's bar here, actually, there was a lovely man called. He he was a he had a barber shop here in the town called Shea, and uh, he said to me, Martina, I'm really looking for somebody to work, um, because his ex partner was sick at the time. So I said, Asher, Jesus, I'll 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 give it a try. So that was it. So I started working there, and he said, as long as you're in before eleven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> So that and that literally was it. He bought. I think I I stayed drinking brandy with him at the bar that night till four o'clock, and I started the next morning. He said, "As long as you're in before eleven, um, but once you're in, you're working." And that was it. He was so nice to me. As long as I was in before eleven, but that was it. You worked. You were on your feet from eleven until seven that even. You know, maybe straight through sometimes. That's a real night owl schedule, isn't it? Coming in. Like waking up maybe half ten and said, "Geez, I better get to work. I have to be there before 11. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that was it. He was so he was so good to me, and uh, so that's where I spent. Uh, and I loved it. I loved it there. So that's where I spent uh, a good few years. Then, you know, w would you say that you know because you were going to school in Montpellier, mm. did you socialize as a teenager more in Lockray or Montpellier? 
probably more in Loch Ree because we would have been, I suppose all my friends down Montpellier side would have gone to, they would have gone to Glenamady or places like that to go out. Whereas I always went, uh, you know, to the Medicourt or to, you know, up this direction because we were, I suppose, I suppose, were we nearer? Yeah, I suppose we would be. And a lot of my friends would have gone to UN school or would have gone to Loch Ree or, yeah. So we always kind of tended to just navigate this this way. Okay, and what what was Loch Ray like that time? Like, do you find that the town has changed a lot? Um, it was great for live music. I suppose everything changed. You know, there was it was just different times, and you know, a lot of the changes were good too. Um, but definitely the bars would be packed. You know, smoking the smoke you wouldn't see yourself, <laughs> and I did it myself. I I used to. My friend actually has um has a little piano keyboard and she says she in memory of me I'd have the guitar the guitar I'd have the guitar here the cigarette stuck in it and we were stuck in a little corner and she was after getting a lovely new keyboard and sure with me having the fag stuck here obviously the ash dripped down on one of the keys and at the end of the night she goes <gasps> and she went look she went your bloody cigarette has just burned a hole in my new keyboard what could I say? Yes, I said you'll never forget me. There you go. But um, anyway, yeah. And Martina, were your parents originally from Loch Ray or where were they from? No, my mum was. They were. They were low. My my father came, I suppose, originally from Ballydloon and um, close to me. Yeah. So yeah, close to you. Um, back in Laura. Um, near well Bolishgeha was the name of the places near Monave where where they were born. But when he was um. In his late teens, all the family um moved back. The land commission were given out land that time, and they had there was a big family of them, and I suppose uh, they were living in a small little house back there. So they moved back to um Ballam Court then. So I still had um like my father and my uncle um had the Copper Beach one time in Turlockmore. So they had yeah they had that bar. So we would spend every weekend over there, um. Yeah, so and your mom was she was your mom from Lockray or where was she um, from? No, mom was was uh, was local. Yeah, mom was from Gurchin Ballymacord. So okay, yeah, yeah, that that tends to be the case sometimes that the men follow the women to their hometown, doesn't yeah, it? They do, they do. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Are your parents alive or what's the no? Situation? My my father passed away. God, uh, Rihanna's twenty one now, so he passed away when she was about four. And my mum is still alive. She's she's great. She's about eighty five or eighty six now, and she's still able to to drive and uh, and all of that and she she lives down she lives down there my brother lives beside her and uh, yeah she's great so she's going great she's going great yeah she should be complaining but you know I just say to her ma'am you're healthier than me and uh, she comes to me sometimes at the weekends as well and was this time during the COVID thing was it hard on her it was it was hard on her and I really saw her go down you know a bit and my aunt my aunt passed away now she was a good age as well she was in her 90s but uh, she was very healthy um, and had just got into hospital for respite but she died she died in there over lockdown so I, I felt really you know I suppose we all felt really bad about that because you know we never got to she was so she had a early dementia a little bit as well so she didn't understand the whole mask thing she thought we were well not me because she had been in Dublin and she thought her daughter was um 
playing a game with her. She used to say, stop fooling around when she'd be waving at the window with the mask, you know. Yeah, she she didn't she just didn't understand. And I really feel I felt so bad that that she, you know, that was her last few days. But look, you know, she had a great well not I wouldn't say a great life, but she had she had a good she was a good, strong woman and uh um, you know, she'd she'd a fairly all right life, you know, up until that. So when you were growing up in Lockray, you know, what kind of hobbies and did you have and how did you keep yourself entertained? Was it always music or did you do sport or other stuff? No, terrible at sport. Always music. <clears throat> always music. That was it. Even when my parents would go to school and the, uh, the teacher would say, Martina's just at the back. All you can see in her copy is I'd be writing the Rolling Stones, the Doors, <laughs> the Beatles, uh, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan. I used to have all this art drew on the back of the copy and they're like, and where's your where's your homework? Um, and I was like, oh, God, I'd, all I just want, and there was no music in, in school. I went to school, I went to, there was no music and I was just, you know, that's all I wanted to do. So my first, uh, when I left school, my first job, I bought, um, <clears throat> I bought a little Spanish guitar, a little acoustic guitar in Fletcher's in Bandeslow, actually. And uh, a friend of mine had been going out with the guy and um, and he gave her, um, he gave her a, a, a book Oh, no, actually, before that, he had gave her a guitar and I got the mumps, I think, when I was in my leave insert. So, yeah. So I said, great opportunity. I'll sit home here and learn a few chords. So I did. And then I bought a guitar myself with my first. Um, I I always thought the, the mumps would have been a great name for a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nobody was ever brave enough to say I'm the lead singer in the mumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late. Let's start a band. Let, that we get, we'll, we'll have a super group. Everybody's infected. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the thing is, in in like you worked in the hairdressers, and but did you ever do any other part time jobs in and around the town that you hated or that you loved? Maybe. What did I? Uh, well, I stayed there. Now I stayed in the, uh, I stayed here just, I think until uh, Rihanna was born, and uh, and it's gas that I'd done so much. I seem to have stayed at the same place for a long time. As in, you know, I was happy out. Uh, you know, in in fairness, it wasn't a very healthy life. But uh, but there you go. You were that age, so it was literally, you know, it was go being in the barber shop. Every day, um, probably having a sausage roll at around four o'clock, heading off, coming out there at seven, hopping in, getting a bag of crisps and maybe a sam- ham sandwich and throw the crisps into it and a can of Coke. And off you go to the gig down to Limerick or to Innes or something. Do the gig, you know, come back home, off to Sadler's or somewhere um, and, you know, stay copious amounts of alcohol and uh and then back into work again the next day. You could do all that sort of stuff, but um, but it was a happy happy routine, wasn't yeah, it? Was I mean, people enjoyed routine. it. Yeah, exactly. But I, I suppose until you stop and you kind of go, "What am I doing with my life?" You know, and uh, and a, a child certainly, um, you know, is is a great one for that because it gets you knocks you. Tell us about Rihanna. It's is she's twenty one now? Is she? She's twenty one now. Yeah, she's twenty one this year. So uh, she is now. She's doing music in um, in UI, and uh, she did a year in Cork as well, and then took a year out. So she's in third year now. <clears throat> so and what what kind of music is she? Is it more like contemporary, classical? What type is she doing? 
Um, well, she's going to be, I suppose, a music teacher after all of this. They, they do a little bit of everything. And and this year, really, she's doing Irish as well. She should have gone to the Gwaeltacht for this semester. And then in January, she would have been going maybe to Holland, over to a music college there to do kind of an Erasmus there. But, um, but of course, she was very disappointed that all of that didn't happen. So they're just working online now. She's doing, she doing an Erasmus from home. Yeah, yeah, Erasmus from home, that's it. <laughs> with Mammy, yeah, it's, it's with the Mammy. new Mammy Erasmus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So she's she's a bit disappointed about that, but you're looking, you know, this is, I said, you have years for traveling and, and doing all of these things. But uh, here, this is where we are. But, um, but yeah. This year has been a bit of a, you know, a break for a lot of people. But of course, it's been something that's hijacked a lot of people's careers and their investments and whatever they were doing. And for students like Rhiannon, the thing is, they will they will have they look back and they go, oh, I was supposed to go to Holland that year and it interrupted my plans. But I mean, what can we do? We just have to move on. No, that's it. That's what I said. You know, one day she was here and I said, you know, it's 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 good. Feel the bad. You got to feel bad every, you know, and sit, sit with it and let it go through. Yeah. You, you know, um, it's only part of life. But, you know, there will be there will be lots of time again. And and I guess these are things, you know, when when you think that, you know, down through the years we've been refugees and and to think they had you know if you think of those and they had lovely homes and careers and you know maybe now they're living in a refugee camp and all of their hopes and dreams are gone so at least we have lots of there's lots of great things that we have so we got to look at the good and the positive and 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 all of that we're very lucky does rihanna does she play a few instruments or is it more singing what's her thing she she sings plays piano uh and plays ukulele and guitar <clears throat> but very nice but yeah she's not into the performance side of it though uh she was when she was younger because we did some performing together and it looked like um you know i said me and you will take over the world yeah <laughs> Yes. But no, no. It, um, it's like I always, I always think those moments, you know, when you have either like groups that are couples or family groups, you know, when they go on talent shows and that stuff. And then, you know, Simon Cowell or whoever says, uh, yeah, maybe the mammy can sit this one out for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and the mother's like, what do you mean? We're a team. We're a team. And, and the daughter says, just for a minute, ma'am, let's just see what happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, definitely Rihanna was the one, like she had such an amazing voice um, and she still does. But when she was younger, I don't know, there's a little video on YouTube. You you can watch it sometime if you get a chance. But uh, she held a note for like, you know, a full minute. Um, and uh, but anyway, uh, we um, yeah, so so we did. Uh, I, I used to be writing songs at the time. So we, we wrote uh, I had a lot of songs written and we decided to enter um that Irish fashion blood and we won that that was back in 2011 and Rihanna was 11 I think at the time um and you know she re- the song was her when she sang it I was like oh my god it's it's like so your song so I did a harmony to it um but we were it was funny because um sure we'd be fighting like the two of us like we we're kind of like sisters but they'd be talking to us afterwards and we'd be there like and Rihanna going you got that wrong you know you, that's not the line <laughs> yeah 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 funny story about the final actually the, um we were the, the day we went up to the final i i wasn't a great sleeper i'm still you know i suppose sleeping isn't my um 
but it depends. Yeah, it depends. I'm just a bit of a night owl. But uh, but I wasn't sleeping good at all at the time. So I decided I wanted to be fresh for that day, you know, to, to be to have me head about me. So I um I stayed at a friend of mine's house that night and she was coming up because we had to be up uh, in the RT studios at, I don't know, half eight in the morning or something. So I decided I so I was in, I'd, I'd take some I'd get some sleeping pills. So I went to the doctor. Got some sleeping pills and uh, that was it. I was in bed by probably half 12 or something or half 12, one. And we had to get up maybe at half five, six. So I took the the sleeping pill and uh, off I went to sleep for what I thought was, um, you know, that I'd been asleep for a long time. But I got up to the toilet and I looked at the I looked at the phone and I was full sure it said half two and I was like, oh God, it's only half two. And I tried to go back to sleep. I couldn't go back to sleep. So I said, you know what? I'll take another one. So I'll sleep. So I just had it swallowed and the water gone down when I heard my door open and uh, it was my friend and she went, oh, you're awake. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going back to sleep. And she went, oh, it's half five, you know. And I was like, it's half five. I said, I just took another sleeping pill. I said, it's not, are you sure it's not half two? And she went, no, look at your phone. It's half five. It's time to get up. And I was like, right, okay. So I started, literally, Rihanna was on the way to Dublin. They got me, I don't drink coffee, but they got me coffee. And she was literally beside me going, mommy, wake up, wake up. I have no, I have no memory of the, the drive to Dublin. No memory of it at all. Now, it wasn't that I was... You were lucky you had a few hours. Imagine if you were doing that in Galway and you only had like half an hour. Yeah. You were lucky at a few hours to have a bit of a sleep, maybe. Yeah. Well, no, we arrived in the studio and I'm there um, absolutely zombified here trying to keep my eyes open. And I'd be getting the song wrong. Then Rihanna would go, that's not this. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> and the nerve, I swear, the nerves that night going out uh, to perform it because I was literally, you know, shitless that I wouldn't remember it because my brain was literally fried. Um, so we won it. So that was like. <laughs> That's brilliant. And they were they were probably saying, isn't it brilliant? They won it and the mother was pissed on stage. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. She was off the tree. <laughs> so, yeah, you can look at that video and see the stoned mother. <laughs> <laughs> to look at it and, and you know it, it's funny because when you have a bit of insight and you're looking at the video it's probably going to be funnier yeah 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 exactly <laughs> so so you mentioned there in your copybook in your notebook you had all the bands and rolling stones and all that what was the music you were into at that time as a teenager what really kind of what was the first band you thought i love this band I suppose I think it was Van Morrison really. Um I got that album Street Van Morrison and the Street Choir and uh that um Bob Dylan, Joni Mitchell, Blue, Joni Mitchell, um all these sort of people because I think I was brought up on traditional really and country music and uh and then all of a sudden I was hearing hearing this stuff and it just Tom Waits, Tom Waits you know, so it was all these. It was like Tom Waits, um, America, um, Van Morrison, Joni Mitchell, Bob Dylan, uh, Neil Young, all these 
all these Linda Sparn. Um, Linda Sparn, wow, wow. Um, and you know, it, it's funny when you, you you mentioned there about your the parents playing the country music, because I used to always think when I was younger, you know, you'd be in the car and your parents would have the country music station on or the country music tapes, and you'd be. I used to be thinking, did they always listen to this? Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and now. When I'm, you know, when you're, when I've, with my own kids and you're playing, I'm playing, I could be playing Jeff Buckley one minute, Metallica the next minute, uh, you know, Bob Dylan the next minute. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, I don't remember my parents having as, as open a mind towards music because, I mean, they had, but it seems like once you reach a certain age, everybody starts evolving into country music listeners. But now it's a little bit different, isn't it? People listen to all sorts now. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. But um, not that I'm a, um, a country. I suppose Irish country music was is to be awful. But uh, but now you try and find, I suppose, a lot of the country music is, is a bit better. But, um, yeah, I suppose, really, do you know, they're the, probably the first band that really changed me, funnily enough, was ABBA. Because I is yeah, because I used to go down to my um my aunt lived in Kerry, and when I was probably about thirteen or fourteen, as I say, coming from trad and country music, my older cousin had uh, was into ABBA, and she had the album. I remember Arrival, and I remember she used to play it on a record player, and I just thought they were, you know. It was amazing, you know. So I really got into ABBA. I had all their albums. And um, so that was my first, I suppose, at 14, 15. And then, you know, as time went on. Um, and I still think ABBA were great. They were really good, nice, I suppose, feel good music. And just brings you back to a time, you know. Yeah, and they, they bridged that gap because, you know, if you look at bands like Book Fizz, Books Fizz, who won the Eurovision for England, I mean, they never really had a big following. They were a bit of a cliche and a bit, you know, tacky. But ABBA, even though, you know, they were that kind of vain, they still had a huge following around the world. Yeah, and they were, I suppose, musically, you know, they were so talented. And I I my I used to love Agnetha's um, voice. I just thought she had the most, and I still do her voice. I heard her doing something actually, you know, maybe there two or three years ago, and her voice is still amazing. Um, even though she she went and and gave up music and everything for a long time, but um, but yeah, so music still has the voice, yeah. So um, you know, when you did start playing, what what was your first gig or your first band, or did you play solo? What oh, did you do? God, the first the first gig was myself and um. I remember doing a, there was a Live at Three competition on, do you remember Live at Three, Derek Davis? Yeah, I do with Derek Davis and Thelma Mansfield. Thelma Mansfield. <laughs> there was a competition on that and I remember myself and my friend, I wrote a song and we, we entered it and we had to go up to Monast Revan, I think, to a hotel and the final was there and... Um, my father was funny on the night. It was a guy from Roscommon that won it and I came second Um. But my father was going around in the night. Oh, Martina should have won. Martina should have won it. No, <laughs> I was there slapping him. I said, Dad, you know, stop it, stop it. And he was, Ay, she, she, she should have won it. She should have won it. <laughs> it was terrible. He was, you know, it's fun when you say there with Derek Davis. Every time I think of Derek Davis, I think of Big Tom. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they were like twins. They were yeah. like twins, oh, weren't they? Did, like, did you meet Did you meet Derek Davis and Tom Mansfield? Yeah, I did. Yeah, so we were we were on the RTE, and we were, and then you know they were at the show as well, and they were lovely, really nice. But um, 
but yeah, so that kind of got, I think after that show, um, myself and my friend said, you know, let's, let's, let's go and do some gigs. So we went down to, um, to Glenamady. <laughs> we went down to Glenamady where, where you'd go on those days to, to buy your gear and, uh, down to Joe O'Neill's. Down to Joe O'Neill's. And, uh, a, a guy, Mike Lawless, a friend of mine here in Loch Ray from the crew, the band, the Crusaders at the time, he came with us and helped us pick out gear. And uh, and that was it. Our first gig was uh, in a bar in Banisloe that Jerry McInerney, the hurler, um, had opened. And I remember we had 10 songs, I think, between us, but the microphones were screeching and everything. We, we couldn't, we were there. Jesus, what's happening here? It was it was an absolute disaster, you know. But, but they, uh, they are the, the first gigs are always like that, and that's the fun. That's the fun. So we hadn't. So we kept repeating the ten songs we had, and he was. And we couldn't believe he gave us another gig, and he went, "I oh, know you you were great. Now you'd get there, you'd get there." And he started giving us every Sunday evening, you know, for the summer. And then Mike Keery here in Loch Ray gave us every Friday night, and uh, and that was it. And we soon started not blowing our trumpet but we did start packing the place because we were there, there there was only two there was Carmen Dempsey at the time there was us um, Martina and Sinead we were called and then there was um, the Tracy sisters so we were the only girls really I think around Galway that were playing music you know so um, so that was it so we started packing the place on a Friday night and sure we'd have the wages drank by the time we'd <laughs> Everything. <laughs> you know, you've been involved with so many bands over the years and musicians in and around Galway. Was it a case of that you'd kind of meet people by standing in with bands or by being in bands? How did you meet a lot of people over the years? Ah, you just meet them in the circuit, I suppose. Um, I met, um, so who was I with in Galway? Well, um earlier on I was with the Lazy Blues band and that was um I was going out with um with Luis um Gutierrez or, or Luis Armada. He was kind of more known in Galway. He was a uh, Yeah, yeah. Did you, did you know Luis? I did. Uh, you know, actually the funny thing about Luis, I met Luis when he arrived in Galway. Stop, did you know? You? Yeah, because I'll tell you how what that was because, and I, I was actually thinking about him the last every so often. I think about him because um, I met him. That was maybe like I don't know, was it ninety six or ninety seven? And I was busking in Galway for like two or three years there, and so always after busking, I meet like other musicians, Bernard Nocton, they'd be playing gigs, and I was playing in the street. But we'd meet up in Javas, and I got to know people, and and I remember. Luis came into Java's that night and I don't know, I don't think he was actually even playing with anybody. I think they were literally only in the city, like him and his sister. His yeah. sister was a very pretty, pretty girl. And, uh, I, and and I think I saw the sister first, to be honest, you know. Yeah. He actually, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, but I remember that was, and we were, and I had my guitar because what would happen is I'd go into Java's with my guitar and all the other musicians would have, um, wouldn't have their gear with them because they'd be in the pub or the car. So some people, we'd have a bit of a jam upstairs, but I remember Luis and his sister and I, I forgot about him then. I think, I don't know if he stayed in Galway or he went back for a few months, but I remember meeting him a few years later, then playing with some bands and uh, yeah, he was a lovely fella, lovely fella. Uh, yeah, he was such a dude. Yeah, he actually worked in Javis at Anuska. His sister 
ended That's up right. uh, working there as well. But then she went to Kilkenny. She met a guy from Kilkenny and she still lives there now. Actually, she got married and has kids. Um, but um, she went, I think Jav has opened another restaurant up there and that's how she ended up going up there. But um, yeah, Luis, um, he joined Charis um, then and they were together for years. So that's it. So through the Lazy Blues Band, I think I was a fan of Charis and used to go on and, uh, and see them. And then, um, and we enter. So he he's uh, really, I have to give him sort of credit for a lot of things that happened in my life because um, we started going out together and uh, and he was the big love of my life, I have to say. Um, so, um, yeah, so we started a little side band called the Lazy Blues Band. Where, um, Mark, Mark Sullivan was in it and uh, Tom Portman. And uh, <clears throat> so... Um, so that was it. And then I, you know, often do maybe some harmony with Charis if they were gigging places. But uh, the reason I got into being a singing teacher was Luis used to play in a band with, um, with Andre, Andres Martorell, who was from South America, from Uruguay. And they had a little, um, tango group um that used to play in massimo's on a wednesday i think was it wednesday or thursday and we used to also do sound in the roshin dove and i played in another band uh with a group of women and we were called uh well bangkok's at the time <laughs> yeah i think i remember that name Bangkok, yeah. <laughs> my god yeah the bangkok's yeah because uh and we it's funny we had a we ended up getting a guy playing guitar with us actually because we didn't have enough sort of serious work for, you know, there wasn't that many girl guitar players around. Now we did have a girl for a while, uh, but, um, but funny. So the Bangkoks were like, are you a eunuch? We, you can only come in if you're a eunuch. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, our guitar player, um, as it turns out, had the best hair in the band. He had long curly hair. So he was probably the prettiest in the band. Um, all the rest, when I look back, we were like, you know, um, it was like, what's going on, lads, with the haircuts? You know, we were definitely, uh, I don't know. But um, he, um, I remember one time, actually, that he he, he was threw out of his apartment or his, his, um, the house he lived in. And uh, I don't know, because they had a party or something. And he couldn't afford uh, his conditioner. So the drummer, Thule, bought him pan tin conditioner for his hair. That's how, no way. That's how much of a girl he was, you know, I suppose. So um, so he was probably... Well, th that, that reminds me of a story. Once I remember I used to have like long hair. It's hard when I look at me now with less hair. But I used to have long hair down to my shoulders. And it was undercut, you know, like yeah, the sides. The undercut, yeah, because, because when I had it long... Um, it was too bushy. I was like Mel Gibson and Lethal Weapon with this big bouffant. And so I undercut it. And I remember once the girl I was going out at the time, she said, we should try ironing your hair, you know, straightening it. <laughs> and uh, so so we were we tried it, you know, like the brown paper on the ironing board and yeah, the yeah. hair and all that. So I did that. And I remember I was walking down Shop Street. And at that time, I was, I, I think I was still busking and I used to play a bit with Brendan O'Gorman in, in Galway, you know. And um, so Brendan, I saw him walking up the street towards me. And because my hair felt like, you know, I, I felt like a woman with my hair and it was so straight and shiny. And I was afraid to move it in case I'd, it'd go curly again or I'd, I'd upset it. And uh, as, we, as I walked 
past him. He stopped and he did a double take and he went, Jesus. He said, I thought you were some fine bird there for a minute. <laughs> I said, no, it's only me. Don't worry. <laughs> I know it's gas. And I was saying there, you know, you know, that um, he, he was such a girl. But it wasn't that he was such a girl. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that I suppose that when you look, he probably was... Um, Considering we were called the band Cox and there was no men in the band, he certainly he certainly fitted in because um, he was probably more, you know, he was more in touch with his feminine side probably than maybe the rest of us were, you know. So you were playing with Luis and, and at that time with the Lazy Blues Band, you were playing with other bands as well too and kind of gigging around, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Luis used to do uh, sound sometimes in the Roaching Dove. So he was doing sound one night and uh, and he said to me afterwards, you're shouting on, on your... I used to do a song by Skunk and Nancy and it was called Weak As I Am. And he said, you're Yeah, I know. Yeah. 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 And you know, you at the end, you go, Weak As I yeah. Am. Yeah, 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 yeah. You really give it really. Yeah. I've been nearly dead after doing the note. So he said, you're shouting on that note. And I said, I was kind of going, who do you think you are, Nick? Um, but he said, you should go for some singing lessons. <clears throat> so he said to me, um, you should go to Andreas, who uh, this uh, Andreas Martorell from South America, from Uruguay, uh, had just arrived in Galway at the time. So I went to him for a singing lesson. And I suppose it was then that I kind of, I mean, I never looked on my voice really, even as an instrument, you know, I never thought about it. I just sang and uh, and put, you know, didn't look after it. I smoked and I drank and that was it. And I, I just considered this is what I do. But um I suppose I realized that um, there was so much more. I always considered if you got your voice trained, you would be a classical singer or something. So I just realized there was more to my voice than than I really understood. And he was going off to a workshop in, um, I think it was in Poland. Yeah, in Warsaw at the time. No, in Krakow. So uh, I said, you know, he said, you should train as a singing teacher. And I had just gone, um, I was just in... Um, had gone back to university. I had gone, uh, you know, I was still working. It was part time. I was gone to NUI, and I did. I just was doing a diploma and in Spanish actually and and history. But I was going to go on to do a degree. But uh, when I went to the workshop anyway, I said, "Yeah, do you know what? This is 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 kind of what I want to do." So that was it. So I trained as a singing teacher then and gave up my hairdressing um a while after that or my barbershop and give up college as well so maybe I'd have ended up in in Spain now and be fluent in Spanish which I'm maybe, maybe you're do you speak some Spanish now well, still or well um puedo hablar muy un poquito um yeah but um but that that was it then you know when you were going out with Louise did did you always speak in English or did you speak in Spanish Always, always in English, except when I'd go back maybe to his um to his home place. Um he would um like his his brother or his mother none of them spoke uh, English. So it it was just you you just realize how hard it is because I'd be there dying to join in the conversation, but you know, you don't have the you don't have the lingo. Because yeah, because he more or less stayed in Galway, didn't he, from once he came here. He he was there. He was in Galway 13, 13 years, um, yeah, thirteen years or so. Um, so that was so. He introduced me to to singing, um, and um, and that was it. So that's how I I ended up getting into singing teaching, and um, and yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we went out together for I suppose maybe I don't know maybe 
maybe four years or whatever. And then he got um he got ill. He got um he got a thing called amyloidosis, um, which also came with with cancer as well. So it was a it was a it was a harsh one. So he went to he went back to Spain then for a year and uh, had a lot of his treatment there. And uh, yeah, he he well he, he was given two years and he got about four and uh, and that was it. It was very sad because I remember at the time, I think I was uh, Donald Kearns who had played in Charis as well. I, w- I was doing some gigs with Donald and actually my band Collective Whisper, when we started out, Donald was drumming with us for a while. So I remember always hearing, you know, like I'd say, oh, how's Luis? And Donald would say, oh, he, you know, he's pretty sick at the moment or, you know, so y- you would hear it around how he was. And I think I met Luis one day in town and he looked very sick and I said, oh, how, hi, Luis, how are you? You know, and stuff. But it, I think it was a hard time and it affected a lot of the musicians he played with too, you know, because I suppose everyone always hoped he would get better, you know. Yeah, it did. And and I suppose, um, I mean, as I say, we had gone out together and then we broke up and he had actually met um, somebody else. And she was very, she was very young, but uh, he just started getting sick around that time. So we were bad for, we were, we were bad friends for, for a little while as well. But then, you know, we, uh, we had, um, we got, everyone got together and we had some uh, benefit, you know, we had benefit concerts for him. And I have to say probably that, you know, when you're in love with somebody um, and maybe you, you break up, I suppose, when when we became, um, I suppose, realigned, realigned in a different relationship, um, because he was one of my best friends, and you know, I probably two two years or maybe a year after he came back from Spain, um, that was it. He was he, he worked on all all the broken hearted songs that I wrote about him. <laughs> that yeah, <laughs> um, he ended up working on them, and he used to say he used to be funny. He'd go like. I don't want to know. Um, don't be writing songs about me. Um, I'm going, yeah, you and your bloody dreams. Um, That's like, you know, when they say Taylor Swift is writing about all her exes. Yeah. They, but usually, usually the exes aren't playing in the band with her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he'd say, I'm not listening to the lyrics. I'm not listening to the lyrics. But uh, that was it. So he worked on a lot of my original songs with me. And uh, before he passed away, actually, it, it was... Um, it was funny. I hadn't seen him in about uh, probably about a week or so, and and we had a f- uh, a Skype call um the night before he died, and he said, "Oh, I haven't seen you because I'd always be in every weekend, and we'd go off to you know we'd go out town and do something." Um, and uh, anyway, um, he said, "I so I said I'll definitely be in the weekend, and then and it's gas that there was something different on on our goodbye. Um, he just." He just gave me this look, um, and I all I can all I can say was just like a look. <clears throat> I really love you, <laughs> you know, and 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 I just remember coming off after the Skype saying that was that was just some connection, you know, that there's something. It was an unspoken thing, um, but um, that was it. He, his brother Carlos rang me on the next day and said he'd got a heart attack that uh that even and uh you know what that's it i never saw him after that i went into the hospital um but you know what i didn't i went in to go and i i went out to salt tail instead and i said you know what i'm i'm because he was uh he was in a coma and he had he couldn't speak and all of that so i said you know what i'm just gonna i'm just gonna 
I'm just going to walk the prom here and because he lived in Salt Hill and Salt Hill always reminds me of him. So um, so that was it. So I said my goodbyes there. They were turning off the machine. Um, well, that was a, a week later now or so. But um, but that was it. Uh, and because that was it, he was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's the thing, isn't it? He, he left such a big impression on everybody. Even if you only met him for a short time or you worked with him for a long time, he left such a lasting impression. And and I think now he'll he'll always be forever etched in go history of musicians, you know, because because everybody everybody knew him and and he was such a lovely guy i mean he was one of these guys he said you'd you'd always meet him and he'd be smiling you know so i i always thought he was a great guy and it was a shame i mean but you know i suppose life is life and we have to move on and as long as we can still remember him and and think of all those good times no yeah absolutely you know he was a cheeky fecker um so everyone always remembers him for that um and uh yeah, uh, definitely well-remembered in Galway. And that's it. This was his time. This was the, the amount of time he had on this earth, you know, so he's got off to, to other pastures. Um, yes, uh, of course, of course. So I, let, let's move on because, you know, we can, we can, we can uh, we, we, sometimes with those kind of things, they're, they're sad to think about too, you know. But let, let's go back to your, your teaching. So Obviously, you you got more into the teaching, and you trained as a vocal teacher in two thousand and six, and and so you you kind of worked with some interesting people, haven't you? Yeah. Tell us about yeah. that. Yeah. So that's it. So as I say, that's how I started on my my singing teaching journey, um, and that was it. Um, so yeah, so I got to work with some great, you know, went off to do workshops with all these like Wendy Parr, who worked in Slumdog Millionaire, and Greg Enrique, and all those. So I learned so much, uh, so much from them. And um, that was it. And then in the last few years, I've delved more into healing voice um, because, again, uh, you know, there was me learning all about the voice back years ago and, and realizing it was an instrument. Um, and then I got I, I got ill myself um, back in probably 2012 or so. And I... Um, just a lot of things, a lot of my body systems and whatever, everything was affected. And um, I realized that my voice as well was, um, you know, started to give me give me me trouble. And there, I had nerve damage from I had Lyme infection. So, um, yeah. So I got I got um, nerve damage from a lot of that. So there was that. And then I guess, you know, I don't know. So sorry, can, can I go? When you say Lyme infection, you mean like Lyme, Lyme disease? Yeah, and I don't like to say disease because disease, disease sort of um, emphasizes that you have it forever and that you, you know, that you're maimed. I like to sort of call it an infection. Um, <clears throat> but um, and that was it, and it was a hard time because, um, you know, there wasn't, there was nobody to. It was kind of left to my own devices. Here's take your, take your. Um, take your antidepressants and you'll be grand, you know, and you'd be kind of, kind of going, okay, I can sit here and take these or I can, um, I, I, you know, when you know there's something wrong yourself, you just know. And, um, but that's the thing because you hear of lots of people now that, you know, get Lyme disease or infection, you know, whatever. And the thing is, it affects them for a long time and sometimes it doesn't affect them for years after they get infected. Yeah, exactly. And I think for me, I think for me, what may have happened No, I don't know. I was in Africa about, um, 
well, 22, 23 years ago now, probably. But I think sometimes when you have things, a lot of stress and whatever in your life, it can bring on stuff. So I think it may have been dormant in my system. Now, who knows? I don't know. And I'm, I'm certainly not the big outdoors type that I'm off walking in the, you know, in the woods all the time or um, anyway. But um, anyway, you get, look at it. However, I think like life gives you a kick up on the arse um, sometimes to change and to deal. Yeah, to deal with your stuff. So I'm very grateful for, um, as I said, that those times were hard. There was, I, I probably had grief, you know, because, you know, Louisa passed away. I, I uh, was in debt. Um, what else? I had about six car breakdowns. I, I was sick, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. We we got our house got infected with black mold and we had to dump everything that we had and I was like oh my god and I used to say to the universe come on you know <laughs> what else you know what I mean just a, we should be drive over you know a wall here but um so 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 that got you more in like through being ill yourself and things you'd gone through it got you more into healing through vocal performance and vocal singing yeah, yeah? absolutely that's how uh i found you know it wasn't the the medical system didn't work for me um that's not what it was it was me it was me finding the power within myself because i think everybody has this power to heal themselves and uh, your sister played a big uh, role in it as well because I started going. Somebody told me about Sharon, and um, and uh, and she was great. Um, you know, she really put me on on the path of looking at my life and uh, and not dwelling on the brokenness. You know, but that was it. But it's you know, and you know, all those things from your past, all the traumas and the abuses and everything that were there. Um, you have to to get over them you know and uh, and it's not as simple as saying i'm going to get over it you have to release it and um and that was it so i started it was a journey it was a healing journey really and luckily voice came into play with it because um i i realized that you know when my voice started playing up myself um i realized that a lot of the stuck energy and for now from looking at people and hearing people um, I can see the trauma, you know, that's stuck in their body and your voice represents. I mean, even if, if we couldn't see each other here, Simon, and 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 I was maybe scared or something, you could tell in my voice. I could tell in your voice. Yeah. You can you can tell so much by the vibration of somebody's voice. And um, so it really is everything that we've been through is sitting right there. And it is a healing instrument. And um, I have... I suppose I had to be able to do stuff to to prove it to myself. I mean, I've healed myself of kidney infections, of um, various things that with my voice, you know. So yeah, and can I, can I ask you then? Because obviously, for you know, for people that are curious about that sort of thing, when we look back at holistic therapies and Asian kind of. Um, medicine and everything you know and you have like chanting and all of that stuff is is that is it similar to that or is there much different techniques nowadays it would be i mean chanting um chanting is more probably devotional i mean i would do chanting um and it you're sustaining on one note but mostly this is through what's called toning so really when i went to my first workshop i think um I was surprised, I and mean, I'm somebody who'd be singing all the time, um, that I was surprised that, okay, we did a, a little meditation first, and then we, we just made sounds, you know, we were saying, okay, just make sounds, and we all started just like maybe, 
Um, uh, just just making a, whatever sound came into your head and closing your eyes. And I was in bits on the floor, you know, after about five minutes. And I was kind of going, you know, I'm not someone who who, who hasn't used my voice before, but uh, there was so much pain to come out of me and I just started bawling, you know, from... Do you, do you think as well, here's, uh, uh, I suppose it's it's a kind of a question, I suppose, that some people will ask. You know, this thing about hysteria, obviously, when when people get together, the emotion of being with other people who are going through something similar amplifies the whole situation. So, so like if somebody said to you, it's okay to cry. And maybe you, you said, no, no, I don't normally cry. But maybe if you're in a room of other people who are crying, it will propel you to Absolutely. cry. Absolutely. Go to a funeral. And even if you don't know somebody and you see somebody crying, you'd start crying, of course. Yeah. But, um, well, I suppose what we forget about our voice really is that, it is, and we forget about because uh, everything is energy, and and science has proven, you know, beyond doubt. Now physics is telling us that there isn't, there isn't any solid matter really. That there's density, but there there is no solid matter. Everything is dancing energy, and um, and everything has a vibration. So, you know, when you hit your toe, let's say against the the chair, you're gonna go ow. You know, nobody can can hit their toe and not say ow. You know, and why do you do that? Because it's 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 comforting. You do that to make it's to release the emotion of the pain. So you're releasing when we laugh. You know, you can't tell me something funny here that I don't. You know, you have to make the sound. The sound has to express it. Same when you cry, the sound has to express it. So sound is for expressing. And when we have like everybody suffers some kind of trauma in their life. But, you know, for some people, it's it's harder traumas than others you know um but even so everybody has some amount of trauma so a lot of the time we don't get to express it i mean you have something maybe that's like as a child some trauma that happens you don't have the chance to make a sound uh, or you know so it gets stuck in the body so this is what um what we're doing we're given permission to make that sound of that trauma or that pain or whatever that's stuck in the body, and um, and this is this is the great thing. And here it is. You don't have to pay anything. It's just sitting right here, you know. And all you got to do yeah, is yeah. use it. Well, I, I I mean I think what's great because. You know, for me as well, even doing these type of podcasts, it, they're kind of a natural form of expression because, uh, you know, it's nice for people to open up and, you know, talk about things they've done and, and go back in time and remember stuff that maybe they go, oh, let me think. And so, oh, actually, I have a good memory of that or a bad memory. So I think, you know, this being able to speak to people um, is a great thing because you, you're you expressing something, you're expressing emotions, you're expressing sad times, happy times. So I think it's better now that people are doing more talking whether it's in a natural environment or whether it's in a you know like in a in a workshop or some kind of holistic treatment i think it's great because like children from an early age express themselves without realizing but if they want to be fed they'll scream and shout because they're like feed me feed me you know where adults we tend to close down a little we do that's it and you, and you can see which is kind of sad that i i did a workshop back there uh, last probably last summer now and a lot of the younger children you'll see the the real the younger ones they just sing and and use their voices and there's no inhibition once they get to like eight 
you know, eight or nine, seven, eight, nine, all of a sudden they start to become aware, no, I don't sing, I don't like singing. And I was going, you don't like singing, you've got this lovely voice. Singing is for everyone. And they say, no, it's it's kind of not for everyone. And I go, it is for everyone, but we've been programmed a little bit to think that singing is only for special people. And yes, there are people who make a living. You know, I'm somebody who makes a living out of my voice. But um, I really think... Um, you hear so many people say, I can't sing, but they don't realize that everybody can tone and make sound and uh, and everybody should hum and sing because it's so good for you. And I think that um, that you can really notice that in, in children um, when they're younger. They just, you know, they're not thinking, am I in tune? Am I, you know, how's this sound? They just make the sounds, you know, and that's so great. Yeah, because the thing is, you know, if you want to sing and express yourself to make a living or to be famous or for whatever reasons, of course, you have to have a good instrument, whether it's uh, your voice or a guitar or drums, you have to be good on it. But the thing is, when what you're talking about more there, which it makes sense, is that people should be able to express themselves, whether they're a bad singer or a good singer. And I mean, it's great. It's like when people say, oh, I sing in the shower or in the car. You know, we always used to laugh when people would say, oh, yeah, I was singing along with Eddie Vedder there and I think I kind of sound like him and someone says yeah until you turn Eddie Vedder off (laughs) (laughs) so this is the thing I mean imagine if we didn't have that imagine how how pent up people would be they would be like ready to explode absolutely and you know when it comes to um i know a woman said to me one time she was like well i don't think singing is for everyone she you know she she considered she went i i'd absolutely um you know people would fall dead if they heard my voice and i said yeah you know when we are very we are very conditioned as in yes people who go on to use their voice and, and, you know, be professional singers or whatever. But it takes more than a voice to be a professional singer anyway, because, you know, or be, you know, and a musician, because you need, you need more than the voice. You need a, a good attitude. You need, um, Charisma, yeah, everything. You need an ear. You need to be, uh, you know, you need to, to have a good ear to hear the sound. So that's a different thing. But, um, singing, um, Really, I, I really think we should. And I'm trying to do that when I'm working in schools now is to say to everybody, yes, do use your voice and don't listen to when somebody says, oh, you don't cut the grade and, you know, you're, you're not your voice isn't worthy of being heard. You know, just go, I'm making my sound and this is my sound or, you know. Who, who, who says anyway, even when it comes to pitch, like you could say, oh, they're so out of tune. In, in our train to what we hear they're out of tune in some other in some other dimension they could be perfectly in tune you know <laughs> so well you, you know when pe- when people say that's not normal and someone goes what's, yeah, normal? what's normal so yeah. the thing is where we have a standard kind yeah. of pitch and we say oh yeah that, that's in tune that's in tune but the truth is that sometimes with musicians, they can be a bit snobbish and a bit judgmental about other people because they're thinking, well, I've worked so hard to get where I am and I'm in tune. So how dare you be out of tune? And you're thinking, well, hold hold on a second. I mean, nobody, everybody has the right to be out of tune if they want and everybody has the right to express themselves. It doesn't matter. It's about your end goal. If you want to go into a room with trained musicians and for them to tell you you're bad, that's possible. But if you just want to sing and have fun, and your voice will get better. And the thing is, sometimes those people with the untrained voices and the weird sound end up being the superstars because they have something that nobody else has heard before. Yeah, like Mrs. Miller. Do you remember Mrs. Miller? 
Have you, oh, no, you well, got well, well, Mrs. Miller. Mrs. Miller was, uh, well, I'm not sure if I, I know her full background, but I think she was a woman in America back in, in the 60s or whatever that, you know, had, I'm not sure if her husband died and she had some money and she recorded an album. Now, you know, absolutely, I don't know, you, you won't hear, it's just so, we used to laugh at it so much but you know what it was so great like she she had she had so much vibrato in her voice it was like a lot of vibrato but um but when you look back and you're kind of going here's a woman who used the money she had to record all these albums and people bought them i suppose a lot of the time because it it, you know for them it was funny um but and curiosity curiosity, but if you look for her it brought her so much joy because she was singing this stuff you know was she a great singer no but yet she made herself very happy and she got that sound out you know and look at it's like, do you remember in the night? Was it in the nineties in England? Eddie the Eagle, remember the skier? Yeah, 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 yeah. Remember that yeah, guy? Yeah, yeah. And he was so bad that people loved to watch yeah. it. Exactly, exactly. So you know, it's. Uh, I suppose it's all about what you believe. You know what you believe yourself, but definitely, um, you know. If somebody, if there's a market for everything, if somebody's willing to buy or to listen to it, you know, great. But definitely, you know, everyone should make sounds anyway. That's that's all I want to get across to everybody. So let's look at your songwriting, because you've had a great career now with songwriting. And you told us earlier there about your Live at Three debut. and But now you've gone on to obviously enter other competitions. Um, tell us about some of the competitions. You mentioned the one, the, the Fesh and Blood one, and tell us a bit more about that. Um, I What did I do? I'd done the International Songwriting Competition, and that was probably the best one so far. That came second in the jazz category, one of my songs called Lover. And... Uh, first was Gregory Porter, who was one of my favourite jazz singers. So... Um, yeah, so it was great. And I was hoping, I, it was kind of around the time I think I, I, I wasn't feeling too well. But I, rem- I do remember sending an email to his um, manager or, pro- or manager, yeah, because um, he was coming to Cork. And I was saying, well, I came second in the jazz category. It would be nice to get a support slot, you know, when he came to Cork. But uh, I never I never heard back and it wasn't meant to be. But, um, but yeah, um, what else? I won another one. I can't remember the name of it now. We Are Listening or something back in 2009 with another song. And, of course, I worked with you. Did you know Eugene Kelly? Yeah, Eugene, Eugene worked in, in a lot of my songs. So um, a lot of him flows, flows through, flows through um, Lover, especially, and, um, and the other one, Maybe. Um, and um, well, I, I wrote some songs for Magda Navaretti, who is a, a Polish singer. She was, um, she, was, she was signed with Warner for a while. And actually one of the songs... I think might have been, I remember she, she said one of the songs I had put on the album was going to be in the Eurovision National Song Contest in Poland. So it was kind of fingers crossed for that one. But anyway, it didn't happen. Um, she didn't, she didn't, she didn't get through. But um, what else? Um, I won the Allingham um, Song Contest in 2018. And uh, that's it that I can think of to date now. Um well, that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot of things. Yeah, and then, uh, and then the ones that we did now, and you know, I need to get um, to get off my bum a little bit and and put some work into some more that I have, you know, and and get them going. 
when when do you when you look back when did you actually write your first song were you a teenager or was it later in life i was about 16 or, or 17 yeah that was the, i think the first time um i was on live at 3 and one uh, i wrote one that time so yeah, I think I was I was that age, but I'd be always writing little bits and pieces from once I was younger. I wrote poems and stuff like that. But um, has your songwriting changed over the years? How you do it and the type of songs? Um, I, I think it might only change in um, maybe they're not as sad anymore. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think they'd be more hopeful. And it's funny. I don't know if you noticed this, uh, even just listen to your song, uh, um, Simon, as well, that if there is one thing I've noticed about all the new music coming out is like, I mean, if you look back to the to the 80s, 70s, 80s, it was like, you know, cocaine and uh, jelly roll and... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. D- depression, depression, yeah, everything. Like yeah, sex, drugs, and rock and roll was definitely in the in the music. Whereas, um, and I'm sure there is elements now, but in in most of the stuff, I, I I'm often listening and saying, "Oh my God, it's about hope, and it's about new world, and it's about change, and it's about care, and it's about being free to be who you are." And um, you know, I was broken, but now here I am. You know, it's all them sort of vibes. You know. I think for the last few years, you know, a lot of the pop songs in the charts were very contradictory because, for example, you have Ed Sheeran singing about someone being beautiful and I love you and you're amazing. But then on the other side, you have singing about, you know, boats and hoes. And it's crazy because you hear Ed Sheeran singing, you're beautiful, or, or James Blunt singing, you're beautiful, and Ed Sheeran singing, you're you're perfect and then you hear rihanna coming on and they're singing about yeah goddamn pussy and everything and you're kind of like the music's really weird now because there are songs that are very very politically correct and they're like praising women and sinners but then at the same time there's female singers who are singing songs that are very derogatory towards women yeah absolutely absolutely you know but i think that is i'm noticing in the last year in the last few months there's a lot of changes but uh but yeah and you know what what did i watch the other night i watched something on netflix the other night um i can't remember the name actually but it was about that journalist in america uh who um she kind of took on trump um she worked for Fox News, but it literally was the story of, of Fox News and the, the abuse uh, of women, really. Yeah, that was going on. And I couldn't believe that this was back in 2016, actually, that women were still uh, lifting up their skirts for um, for the boss. You know, I'm kind of going and they were in the office kind of going supporting him. And then there was the few women that stood up and came out. And I was kind of, I have to say, shocked that um, there were still women um who felt they had you know i could well believe we were definitely brainwashed back in in um when we were younger to to take stuff that wouldn't be taken now you know i I often say to rihanna about stuff that happened and she'd be going oh my god would you not have slapped them across the face and i'd be going you wouldn't uh you'd get a lift home from somewhere and and it'd be like oh my god i gotta go home with this you'd you get a lift home from the nightclub and you gotta go um oh gotta go with this guy, he's gonna, you know, he's gonna, and you'd be asking your friend, "Can you come home? Can we get out? Can you stay at my house?" Because you'd be so under pressure to, um, to to not hop out. Yeah, do stop. Yeah, I suppose the best. But um, whereas now, my daughter would say, "Would you not just give them a slap across the face and and 
tell them to go fuck themselves or you know sorry can i use bad language on this yeah yeah of course you can as much as you like you know <laughs> um <laughs> the thing is i think that it's i think what's great now like for me when i look at it i think it's great there's so much like female empowerment in music and everything but i think like i see it especially here in spain you have the reggaeton okay and what I always say to people, you go into a bar here and they're playing the reggaeton and the, um, the music, like if you listen to the lyrics, they're very derogatory and, and very sexist. But the thing is, most of the people, including the girls, are not listening to the lyrics. They're listening to the groove in the club. Right. Because if you took some of those songs and turned it into like a folk or a singer songwriter type song, and said, oh, lift your skirt for me, baby. And you're singing it. I imagine singing it on a bar and people are like, what the hell are you singing about? And yeah, you say, yeah, oh, no, I'm, I'm doing an acoustic version of a, of a reggaeton song. They'll be like, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can't sing that stuff. But it's acceptable in some types of music mm. if the groove is different. Do you understand? Yeah, of course. And, and, that, and, and so it's very confusing sometimes because people look at the lyrics and they're like, wow, that's pretty racy. And like the other day I saw... You know, the Pogues fairy tale of New York. So the BBC, yeah. they, they, they banned that. Uh, no, they didn't ban it. They, they, they changed the, the dirty faggot bit to dirty haggard, dirty and haggard. Or they changed the lyric, right? And then the, somebody put up a funny post because it said, um, and in, in, in other news, the BBC have banned the Pogues for, you know, a, a song that's not politically correct. So in the meantime, here's a song uh, by Cardi B talking about her vagina. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's it's nuts. But as you say, those lyrics, but the only thing when it comes, of course, to our sound and to our words and how powerful they are, you know, um, those do, it, it's like, you know, if you're playing this, if something is subliminally programming you a little bit in the background, you may not think, you know, if you're maybe a kid at night and you put on that music and you're going off to sleep, nevertheless, those words, whether you're aware or not, are going into your head and feeling yeah. your subconscious. So, so I think, and definitely when there's rhythm, rhythm really drives something into your, um, into your brain. It's a loop. It's yeah, a loop, isn't it's a it? loop. Yeah, so it definitely goes into your brain quicker. So I think they can be slightly damaged and not wanted to sound like um, someone from years ago saying that music is evil. But you know, yeah, yeah, but definitely, I think that um, we we should be trying to um, to have you know there'll always be that that element out there. But um, hopefully, I do think that a lot of the the songs are sound and hopeful and uh, new world and good and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, more positive, more, more positive. positive yeah. I, I, I think that the, the shame now for songwriters of any style nowadays is, you know, like when you look at Instagram and TikTok, they're, they're all great. But the problem is now, you know, they're saying, oh, you have to have the hook in the first 30 seconds of the song. Or if you don't have it early, people will turn out, tune out quickly. And this is a shame because, you know, um, the thing is, somebody the song might build to a really good chorus or whatever, and and you might have a bit in the beginning with some nice singing, and but if it doesn't have the hook now, people aren't interested as easily, and it, that's the shame. That's the shame about it, Abs isn't it? Absolutely, and in, in song, and you probably know this as well. In songwriting workshops, when I give them, I kind of go like to kids: there is no rule. There is no rule. No. And that's the thing to remember because people will say, oh, you need to have a verse and, you know, a pre-chorus and a chorus and, you know, maybe a bridge or whatever. Um, but, 
you know, at the end of the day, I never, when I sat down to write a song or when I did, I never said, oh, God, I'm going to have a verse there now. I just, I just wrote. Yeah. I didn't think, yeah, I didn't think about, you know, what punchline. Okay, as it went on, you'd be thinking of better things to do or coming up with ideas. But I think that can definitely, if you're trying to write to structure, maybe it works for produced music, maybe or hip hop music, maybe. Um, but I think definitely the way I write, um, I, 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 I don't like rules. There's no, everyone is uh, different and has a different way of to express what they, what they want to say. So say it whatever way you want to say, you know. For you, when you go to write a song, does it, you know, does it come from a melody in your head or are you in a, like, do you find, oh, I'm washing the dishes and I'll get a tune or where, where does it normally come to you? Um, it would usually be nighttime now, I have to say, or sometimes when I'm driving, I might just hear maybe a bass line or something. I'm going, oh God, that bass line is great. Or, you know, and, and, and then maybe I might've had a melody, maybe the might, it's usually melody that comes and then a line will come or a word. And I have a little notebook and I tend to write down sometimes, um, you know, lines or, or things that might come to me or something that might move me. And it might be just, I don't know, you could just see something really sad or something happy or whatever. And I write it down. Uh, but it's it's funny that that's why I think songwriting is so amazing that, um, you know, when you look back over a song, I can look back to songs that I wrote years ago and they actually they actually foretold my future um and I, right, right. and I didn't know it so I was, but yet I knew it you know that that I wrote that I could look back at the you know that, that first oh my god it was telling me about that was going to happen and and then the chorus and and I was kind of right no idea at the time but it's scarce that some part of you because I mean is it ourselves that write or is it our is it our higher selves or whatever you know is it uh, like is it is it memories coming out because you know sometimes you can write a song and someone will say what's that about and you go is that about you or is that about a personal experience? And you go, no, but it's talking like third person looking on or something. But then you could look at it later in, in life and go, actually, maybe it was about me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think sometimes you probably have to take the ego out, out of it. Uh, yeah, yeah. I really think when stuff flows through you for anybody who, you know, writes music or writes a book or whatever, I mean, we're really tapping into something else, you know, um, and I really think that everybody everybody has that capacity and not everybody maybe gets aligned all the time to do it. But um, I really think it's it's quite spiritual in some ways even if you weren't anybody who believed in that but there is um and, and you know so it was like lately i was thinking about this there was one or two nights i was going to bed you know and it'd be i'd be very tired anyway and um i'd be just about to go to sleep and next minute this melody would come into my head Safe. right and i'd be like oh do i get up now and do I get up now and do this? Or if I do, I'll never go to bed. Yeah. And and I and a few a few nights I, I think I got up one or two nights, but a few nights I've gone, no, no, I I remember it in the morning and then you gone, don't want to be. Yeah. And you're gone. kind of thinking all the babies, all the songs <laughs> could have been, all the big hits. And you're going, This would be a big one. This would definitely be a good one, you know. It's like if I wasn't such a lazy bastard, that would have been a great hit. <laughs> but you know, exactly. the thing the thing about the thing about it is it's um it can come to you. But what I notice now, actually, lately, I've kind of changed my style in the sense that 
uh, now, like one time I would write a song and I'd finish it, you know, and that'd be the song. But now when I look back at all these old demos and stuff that I have and I've loads of them, and then I go, oh, actually, that song now, looking back a few years later, has a different feel or whatever. So I find that nice now to go back because, you know, you could write a new song now, but it's kind of now I'm like thinking it's kind of like a fine wine. Maybe let it sit there for a bit and then it will evolve into something different. Yeah, absolutely. That's happened to me that um, going back to a lot of the songs that I wrote and and um, and I only found a CD the other day, actually. Um, that Louise had had done some bass and I, and I had lost that that thing and the tube is I just done guitar and he'd done bass but it's funny that um I was so mad to get them out of the time and then it didn't happen life happened and stuff and I couldn't even look at the songs for a while after he passed away because I went well uh you know we had the band and everything and it just I I kind of left them there but you know what now that I go back to them it 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 actually is that they they needed that time. It's like now I can see things that I do with them that I didn't see at all at the time. And I was saying, oh, that was much too fast or that, you know, that needed a different groove. So I, I definitely think that um, sometimes things, you know, they just need to sit and you just go go with it. When they need to sit, they need to sit, you know. And yeah, then- and, and they can, they can you know, like sometimes you'll hear a song has been written in 10 minutes and then others can take years because the artist maybe didn't know how to finish it or, you know, they, there was a verse in there that maybe didn't need to be in there. So, I mean, sometimes you need to look at it from a different perspective. Maybe, maybe if you had finished it a year ago, your head wasn't in the right space. But now you go, oh, now I think I know what to do with it. So for sure, I think, listen, let's, um, you're going to play a song for us. Well, let's see how this goes now because I probably haven't, right. I haven't played so much since. Uh, since the don't worry, don't worry. It's all easy here. Nothing, nothing too stressful. Can I play the guitar still? Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do this old song, which is uh, it's one called the Tallahatchie Bridge. Um, oh, very nice song. Very nice song. Okay, sure. I'll, I'll give this a lash and see. It was a third of June. Another sleepy, dirty, dusty day. I was out chopping cotton, and my brother was bailing hay. And at supper time, we stopped and went back to the house to eat. And Mama hollered out the back door. Y'all remember to wipe your feet And then she said she got the news today From Choctaw Ridge She said, Billy Joe McAllister jumped up Tell her head your bridge And Papa said to Mama As he passed around the black eyed peas Billy Joe never had a liquor since. Pass the biscuits, please. There's 12 more acres in the lower half that's yet to plow. Yeah. But Mama said it was a shame about Billy Joe, anyhow. It seems like nothing ever comes to no good. Up on Choctaw Ridge, 
now you tell me Billy Joe is drummed up Tell a hatchet bridge Well, a year has come and gone since we heard the news about Billy Joe. Brother Mary Becky Thompson and they bought a story to blow. There was a virus going round. <laughs> Papa caught on and he died last spring. Now Mama doesn't seem to want to do much of anything. And me, I spend a lot of time picking flowers up on Choctaw Ridge. Control them in the muddy waters of Tallahatchie Bridge. The Tallahatchie Bridge, yeah. The Tallahatchie Bridge. That was the short, the short version. I think this is about twenty verses. Very nice. Your voice—it sounds great. Your voice sounds amazing. Really good. Well, it's it's a bit it's a bit rusty now. I feel. Do you know when you haven't sang, gone from maybe three gigs a week to no gig? Of course. Well, we, uh, every all the all the musicians around the world are kind of losing their sharpness, and they'll oh, I need a couple of weeks to get back into it. And of course, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's really nice, and it's a great song. That's a great song. Yeah, it is a great song, isn't it? Even, Absolutely. even, and all of those songs are foretelling the future with the virus and everything. Yeah, isn't it? The virus and all. They were still dying with viruses those days. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So, so really good. That's really good. So let's move on, uh, Martina. I'm not going to keep you for too much longer, but let's talk about the community radio, Lockray Community Radio, and how how you started getting into that and presenting there. How did that happen? So I um, I heard news about it kind of going around the town and I had gone to, um, I had gone to a good few meetings when a lady called um, Denise Christie started it off and she had the idea to start a community radio. So that's it. Uh, kind of went to a few of the meetings and then over lockdown, well, we had had a lovely benefit night, actually. Myself and Karma Dempsey organised one back in February and we had loads of great music back in the Village Theatre. We had like Frankie Coolhan and um, well, Kim, uh, Rick Harris, the wonderful Rick Harris. Yeah, Rick, well. Rick is great. Um, Enda Dempsey, um, Oh, a load of a host of people, and uh, and we we got someone in together, and the idea was, yeah, we're gonna buy some equipment and get our premises. But you know, then lockdown came, and um, it didn't it didn't happen. So we're still what we're doing now is like podcasts, really. Most mm. of us, uh, sometimes mine are recorded. Um, some of them are going live. Um, but that's it, and it's it can be annoying sometimes because you're just um you're taking over from one DJ and you're switching to your internet mm. um, and then an internet could go down and you could be, you know, just doing your introduction and your internet could be crap or something and all of a sudden your automatic DJ comes in. There was one day mine was just every every five minutes, it just started cutting out. Um, it was a really stormy day. But yeah, so that's where we're at. So we can't wait to get, um to you know, to get our our license and just our premises, which we have now and just get into it. So, so hopefully that'll be. So as a radio station, the way it's operating at the moment, more of the people are at home and doing their 
podcast type things. But how is uh, is it going to fund itself in the future? Will it become like, will you have to have advertising or will you try and have people donating or how will that work? Well, that's it. That's what we've done now. A lot of shows are sponsored. Um, so you look for sponsorship. And then a lot of us that work within the radio have done things, you know, um, either put on concerts or, uh, you know, some people will say like me and Carmel were musicians. Philip Joyce is a musician. Dave Gardner is a musician. Um, Sarah Fahey and Rose Fahey and Daniel Corona, they're all in the more, um, the they're in the musical society. Um, so they have films and are plays and theatre and all that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so all the all the the people that are involved are trying out different things as well you know to to make some funds for it so yeah look at that's great that and advertising and uh yeah so it's great because i was talking to somebody the other day as well there's that other radio station you know that freedom gold and uh, I think they're doing something similar, but it's more, I think the DJs are doing it from their house as well. And I don't know like it, how many DJs there are, but I think it's great because, you know, the problem can be even with local radio. Sometimes it's very hard for acts to get their music played on even like the likes of Goa Bay FM and Midwest radio in Clamaris. And I mean, it's harder because these stations are under pressure for, from advertisers and they want to play all the big hits. Exactly. Now, you know, Radio 1 is, RT1 is probably the only station I ever listened to. I mean, Fikna is great. He he plays lots of, of Irish music. Um, But yeah, so that's what I wanted to do first. I had like two ideas for shows. Um, One was something to do uh, with, you know, with health and that. And, and then Denise, Denise um, is running the health one. So I said, that or um, original music, I really think it needs because sometimes I'm hearing, you know, music from, you know, local bands. We say like yourselves and yeah. you know, Danny Darcy is great, great original songs. And you hear all these people and you're kind of going, why am I hearing that on the radio? Because these, you know, you, you, you can't believe. And this is what the, what's blown me away sometimes is some of the local artists and the songs, the music. It's top notch, you know, absolutely top notch. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And it's great that I can do that. I can do um, a show for an hour and have everybody from Galway nearly you know I'd done three I'd yeah, done three yeah, um, yeah. I'd done three of my shows there in summer which was the whole uh, hour was just people from around Galway and to think that there's that much talent um, and there probably is if I could even do it all the time but um, mostly I try at least every week to feature at least three or four from Galway or from local Block Ray or whatever Kinvara Gort whatever Um uh, and then maybe the rest throw in a well-known older song and then, you know, new artists around um, around Ireland. But um, that's it. So, you know, I think it's great to hear that. Yeah, no, I think it's brilliant. I, I think it's a great initiative because, unfortunately, you know, radio stations nowadays are, are gone so commercial that even now, I won't mention any names, but I, one or two radio stations I know when we were releasing our single and I contacted them about um, putting on, you know, I said I'm a Galway artist and putting on original music. And I was kind of told, well, that that original show is not really happening now because of COVID. And you're kind of thinking, 
Is that really an excuse? I mean, come on. I know you, you, radio stations might be suffering too and you know, their funding and advertising slots might be different. But I mean, you can't just say, okay, well, let's get rid of the Irish music first. Let's get rid of the, the new original music and just play all the hits. I mean, I, it's a shame, isn't it? Yeah, well, you know what? You know, all the radio stations are owned by millionaires now. You know, so this is this is the thing about it. And this is what the capitalism that sort of, you know, is I really dislike that everything in our world is 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 becoming owned by um by like if you take news talk and a lot of our, you know, a lot of we won't go into the names, but we know who owns them. So like they control and I don't think that's the way it should be. But but yeah, I think we we need to start moving away, um, you know. And get everything more to community based and whatever. We don't want, um, you know, if we're going to have our newspapers and our radio stations and even we can go that to universities or education or health all owned by these wealthy philanthropists who, you know, if you if you donate enough money um, to something, you have a big input into how it runs. Do you know what I mean? And and, you know. Our media is 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 very important. What we hear. So if somebody, um, you know, you have, as I say, all these wealthy people controlling what we hear and uh, what we listen to. So I have a big, I have big, I have big issues with that. Um, and I think we all should have. You know, I think because you know, there's enough people in our community. There's enough people in our communities. You know, who have finances and we've enough businesses that we all get together and we fund all our. Um, fund all of these things ourselves we don't need people yeah especially with artistic stuff it's a shame when something you know has a soul and then all of a sudden it the soul is gone because some commercial entity comes in and wants to invest in it because you know the problem is with big business they see these unique kind of alternative things in society that people there's oh everybody loves that now we have to buy it you know and the thing is, they don't have to buy it. But unfortunately, human nature is, is such a, in such a way that people go, oh, yeah, I've been struggling for years with this show or whatever, with this band or film. I could do it a bit of funding, but they have to give up all the rights and then it becomes a, a, just another business entity. Yeah, and that's it. Now, the one thing I have noticed about uh, um, original music uh, is there are a lot of um, a lot of new artists coming out now have their own labels. You know, they're they're um, they're producing their albums themselves and they're. Um, they're managing themselves and they're doing a lot of stuff themselves and they, they're setting up their own labels, which is really good. You know what I mean? That hopefully in another few years, all these guys who've been calling the shots for years, um, it, it, it won't be that way anymore. You know, it's slow. All these things are slow and we have to we have to see them. Sometimes you have to see what's wrong to um, to change. Well, I, I think basically what record companies now are, are marketing companies. They have the money to put into marketing, you know. So if, if an artist says, oh, my God, it costs so much to advertise and, you know, to market my my act or my band or whatever, the, the likes of those record companies are like, yeah, well, we can do all of that. And, you know, but you have to give a 60 percent. And the artist is going, well, 40 percent of something is better than 100 percent of nothing. Yeah, exactly. So that's it. So I suppose the thing is don't. Don't sell out <laughs> if, uh, if, if, yeah, oh, hold on, hold on. And that's it. And I suppose, you know, we should, music isn't about, um, isn't about, you know, people are very, maybe it's from a lot of the reality shows that were like, you know, 
and I'm not down in them because they've give people opportunities. Um, you know the X factors and all those, but you know, is it really about fame? I mean, I I mean definitely for me and when I know lots of other people I know I mean I sing because it makes me feel good I do music because it makes me feel good if somebody likes what I do great um and if it makes me a bit of money great but you know I don't um it's not about being famous you know and maybe when you're younger those things are very important but it's about you know doing stuff that you like and and if it brings somebody else joy great um yeah that's what it's about and I think famous Fame is totally overrated because, you know, you can be famous nowadays and not make any yeah. money. And and in, in within six weeks, you can be gone. Nobody knows who you are. So I, I think you have to just work towards being happy with your music or whatever, you know, industry you're in. And you also have to, like, you know, be happy, but make sure that you can survive doing it and produce more. Because the worst thing, obviously, if you have to work, you know, full time, maybe you don't get as much time for your music. So it's nice to get some funding so that you can continue making things that people yeah, love. Exactly, no? exactly. But I think a lot of the time, if you're on the right path and if you're doing stuff that you love, those things, those things come, you know. They yeah. will come, they will come. So, so listen, we're going to finish up in a little bit, uh, Martina. So I'm just going to ask you, for you, what have been some of the highlights of your life so far? You know, what, what, what for you stands out? Um... Opening of mind <laughs> is I'm opening. Up, I'm just I'm just happy to be um, to be here. I was just thinking on my birthday this year, which was uh, just two weeks. Was it last week? Sixteenth, uh, um, two weeks ago now. And I was thinking to myself, um, how content I suppose content that I am with life. I mean, I'm. There's lots of things that I want to change in the world, but. Um, when it comes to where I'm at and how I am, um, am in my skin kind of thing, I suppose I can finally say, you know, you're not too bad, Martina. You know, you're not. I have, yeah, you know, you're all right, you know, and not be so critical of myself. So, you know, to love myself, that takes, it takes bloody years to love yourself, you know. God damn it, you know. Um and you're kind of going, how much? It, it, it takes me to find out who you are, but another few years to love yeah, yourself. Yeah, exactly. To find out who you are and to love yourself and all these sort of things. So I think there's great contentment when when you reach that place. And um, and that's it. So I'm just happy to to for all the things that have uh, good and bad that have happened in my life that have brought me to here today. And I'm grateful and thankful for every one of them and everybody that I have come into contact with and uh, and that's it and looking forward to to whatever else life is going to bring my way last question for you what what's your hopes for the future I mean you know I, I could ask you what's your ambitions but I think you've achieved a lot already so what's your hopes that's a better yeah, question exactly well my ambition is just to be happy and and yes I do have I'd like um to bring voice I'd like to bring healing voice um to everybody and just for there I'm to make them happy and healthy and um, hope for the future. I would hope, as I mentioned, um, a lot of the things that I think are wrong um, or I suppose, should I say, are out of alignment uh, in our society at the minute. Um, I, I think people um, 
are mo- I do think it's we're moving in a good direction, though I think there's a lot of crap to go through um, for the next while. But I think we have to see it to experience it and um, and know what we don't want. Sometimes you don't know what you want until you see what you don't want. Um, and that's it. So my hope for the future is that, yeah, we we um, we become better people, healthier people, that we have a better attitude towards our health and not um not not dictated to by pharmaceutical companies and I freedom to have freedom to be who you are. Yeah, and that's all I think. That's what what the least thing you deserve in this human experience is to have freedom to be who you are, whatever you are. And it, whether that's good or bad, um I think you just have to to sit, you know, there there is no good or bad anyway or no right or wrong. Everybody is at um is at their place and uh we're we're all we're all just having this human experience. Is there anything you'd like to plug while you're here, you know, to tell the people about? Yes, um, to plug. Well, myself and um, my songbird, my songbird partner, there's a, another girl I play with called Alison Slattery and we're called the Songbirds. Um, so we decided just there the other day that we would um, um, release um, a song and um, we would give the profits to um, a centre in, in Galway that her friend works in. So we're working on that now in the next few days. So yeah, look, at if somebody can download the song and it makes a few pounds for them, great. So that'll be out in the next week or two. Um, so that's one thing. Um, secondly, yes, I'm working on my healing voice um, course and hopefully I'll have that finished by um, January. I don't think it'll be Christmas. And uh, yeah, that's it's, it's not going to be expensive. So something that everybody can do um, in their in the privacy of their own home themselves and um, also retreats. I was supposed to have my first retreat uh, in Spain this um, this September, but um, yeah, so I'll be uh, bringing people back to this lovely, gorgeous um, retreat center in Mijas. And um, yeah, so that'll be happening hopefully next year. And um, is there anything else I'm trying to think of now? Yeah, maybe give my uh, transformation through sound and voice. Um, maybe if, if anybody's listening and wants to check that out and give it a like, it'd be great. Brilliant. I, I'm going to post all the links for your music as well and all those relevant links for your transformation through voice and the the retreats and all, everything. Everything you give me, I will be posting it on the, on the post. Uh, Sam, yours good. Thank you. Well, Martina, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our chat and I, I, I want to say thank you for all the good you're doing and for, thank you for your artistic abilities and your skills and for passing it on to the next generation. But also thanks for promoting, you know, Irish acts and Irish music and giving people and bands a chance. I think it's brilliant. And I mean, your show is fantastic and I love listening to it. And uh, I think, you know, if you can be the the cog in the wheel that pushes more Irish music out there, I think it's wonderful. So I want to say thank you and thank you very much for being on the show. Simon, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our chat and uh, might check you out sometime. Are you, are you uh, do you come home much? Well, the, the last time I was home, I think was it last February. So hoping to get home maybe at Easter again. So, you know, would love to come home for Christmas now, but unfortunately the way things are, it's not so easy and spend more time in quarantine than I would at home. So this is the thing. So Easter again, hopefully so yeah you know we can meet up for a drink and say hi and meet in person properly you know Super. it's been great martina and um 
you know, enjoy the rest of the, the week and the day and so on. And we look forward to speaking to you on the next show. Okay, thanks very much. Hasta luego. Thank you, Martina. That was Martina Flaherty, and I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you did too. And a lovely song by Martina as well. And let's talk about next week's show, because it's going to be really interesting. Because next week we have paranormal investigators so we speak to mr richard morrison he's from galway and richard is a member of the paranormal supernatural investigations ireland team and he tells us all about their you know research and investigations around galway and connacht and ireland so very interesting and we're going to learn some things there and uh, see what shakes the night Okay, I want to also talk about our Christmas Galway Simon extravaganza. So basically, for this Christmas, on Christmas Day, we're going to hold a podcast special. And in that podcast special, we're going to have some amazing guests. We're going to have Michelle Lally. We're going to have Leo Moore and Park Stevens. We're going to have the Half Landing from Tune. We're going to have Martina Flaherty from Loch Ray. We're going to have Dave Clancy from Cara Finn. Uh, who else? We have so many more artists coming on. It's going to be really exciting. We have a full list and lineup on the podcast info, so you can check our website for more details. But it's going to be a really good show, and you know you can have a listen to it on Christmas Day when you're after your dinner, and hopefully you've had a great day, and you can enjoy the podcast with your family and listen to some lovely tunes, some Christmas songs, and some original songs. So it's going to be really interesting, and we hope you come along to join us because it's all in benefit of the Galway Simon community. The Galway Simon community does a great job um, in Galway and around uh, the Galway area of helping people in homeless situations and people who are about to become homeless. So we hope to raise even a small bit of money to help these people out, but more to raise awareness and to let everybody know what exactly is happening. Because at Christmas time, it's a very hard time for a lot of people. And now at the moment with this current crisis with COVID, there are probably going to be more people homeless or on the verge of being homeless at Christmas. So we want to try and do our bit and all these Galway artists have volunteered their free time and we want to thank them for doing so and we hope you're really going to enjoy the show so tune into that um, on the 25th of December and we'll give you more details in the next few weeks about that and we'll have some spot prizes as well and some things you can win from um, some companies and businesses who are going to sponsor those spot prizes so you can win those in the weeks ahead and we will be announcing all the winners on the day of the podcast on the 25th of December. So that's the Collective Whisper Galway Simon Community Christmas Special Podcast. Very long name, but I think you know what it means. So we hope you're going to join us for that and we will talk to you soon. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>